You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. Obviously, we want to bring you a lot of great content, but the fun part about this podcast is that not only are you going to hear stuff that will apply to you doing God's work in small places, but you're going to hear about that content through people who have lived that same journey and who have been in that same place. I am your host, Joe Epley. And so today, we are going to be talking about a new series. We're talking about rural mindsets because... As we all know, rural is not just a place you inhabit, but it has been described as a way that you see the world. And so today we really uh, wanna dive into that. And our first guest today is Twyla Kunst. She's a great friend of mine and has a wonderful background in rural. I will definitely let her tell her story, but first I wanna say, hi Twyla, how are you? Hey Joe, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Good, we're glad that you're here and uh, we are excited to dive into the questions today. First of all, Twyla, for the sake of our listeners, we love to have rural voices on this podcast. Would you maybe tell us a little bit of your background in the rural church and what that has looked like over your pastoral and and, and journey and the other things you've done? Yeah, for sure. So rural is my heart because it has been my life. And so I was born and raised in a small town in North Dakota, a town of about 3,500 people. And that's where I spent all my growing up years. And then I went off to college at Trinity Bible College in graduate school in Ellendale, North Dakota, which is also a small town. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then just as it turned out, God opened the door and my youth pastor handed the baton off to me. And so I went back to my home church as a youth pastor right after graduating um, and spent eight years as a youth pastor in that rural community. Uh, and then at that point, I transitioned to becoming the district youth director for the Assemblies of God in North Dakota. And even uh, even in that role, I was still living in a relatively small town. Now for our size state, sometimes towns of like 7,500 are like the big city, you know, right, but right. it was still a relatively small town there. But more than that, it was more about like leading kids and youth ministries that are largely rural. And so the leaders I was investing in, obviously we have some larger cities just like every state does. Um, but that's only a handful of them. And so a majority of the leaders you're investing in are small town, rural communities. And so that continues to be my heart. Uh, and then I ended up returning to Trinity Bible College as vice president of student development and spent six years in that capacity. And so I have told people uh, that I have never lived more than six blocks from my office, which is absolutely true. Uh, Now I'm working for a missions project and I work from home, so it's the closest commute I've ever had. Uh, But you know you've lived rural when you've spent, you know, 22 years in ministry and never lived more than six blocks from your your location. So that is, uh, rural is deep in my heart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so funny. I never realized that your journey really was kind of this boomerang where it was, you know, your small town and the Trinity and the small town and then you went back, and back to Trinity, you know, yeah. you just bounced around all of North yeah. Dakota. Well, cool. And obviously, uh, I am excited to dive into some of the lessons that you've learned over that tenure and sure. over uh, just that investment. And so uh, to give you guys a little more fullness on, on this podcast of what we're talking about, when we talk about rural mindsets, three things stand out to me. One, and, and I guess for the sake of this, I'm just going to call it the good the bad and the godly because there are great ways that rural people see the world and great ways that we minister and do god's work through that lens right and those are powerful things that should be celebrated 
On top of that, though, there are some mindsets that we may find in small towns. And, and I speak, and I know Twyla speaks, as people who have lived in these small towns, loved these small towns. But there's some stuff that sometimes we're more tempted to fall into or, or a mindset that maybe isn't exactly beneficial but still exists in a small town setting that we need to maybe look into and fight against. And then the last category there, the godly, every leader, every ministry, every person seems to, over the course of their life, kind of find these nuggets of wisdom, these ways that they've approached ministry and life that have really uh, just empowered their ministry and that God has done amazing things through. And so today, Twyla, we're excited to talk to you about all three of those things. And so let's start positive, you know, let's do a nice compliment sandwich here. What is a good mindset that you've discovered in the rural church? Yeah. So one of the things I love about having grown up in the rural church itself is the intergenerational aspects of it. So some of my earliest memories, my family started off in the church of God, in our little church of God in our town. Some of my earliest memories were Sunday night altar services and uh, a guy, Grandpa Joe Walker, next to me at the altar. And I remember being at the altar and praising Jesus and Grandpa Joe sitting on the stage with his cane or sitting on the altar because he couldn't kneel down and saying, girls, just praise Jesus. Just remember to thank Jesus and everything and praise Jesus. Well, I was probably four or five years old and I still remember Grandpa Joe next to me at the altar, right? And that is just something that happens in the rural church, right? In rural ministry. Now, look, I'm not an advocate for whether pro or against Sunday night service. Okay. Sure, sure, but, sure. Uh, but I, history there, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I'm not trying to cause any like major controversies by those listening. Um, but they're, the intergenerational aspects you don't really work for in a small church. They are just there. They right. just happen, right? They're a natural part of it. And so I think that... In those ways, rural churches are a more pure reflection of family. Oh, wow. um, Because of that natural connection. Like, you just have no choice, right? Except to be connecting. Um, And then one of the other things that I loved about being raised in a small church is I always say the stage isn't far from the pew in the Mm. rural community. By that, I mean to be in church ministry is not. it, it's a necessity in a rural sure. church, no matter your age. So I started playing drums at our rural church when I was like 12 years old because there was no one else to do yeah, it. I was about you to know? ask, like, was it because of your amazing chops? Yeah, as a it was. It was literally because there was no one else to do it. I mean, I remember being so privileged to run the overhead projector slides oh, when I was 10 or 11, Don't and that was like too much. Twilight. Right? Come on, like that's how old I am. 44, 44. Yeah. I'll just lay it out there. Right. Um, but uh, but those things that were like such a privilege and an honor you know but really are a necessity in a rural community and so you're not trying out for worship teams if you can do something you're there you know you're not if you are willing to sit with a kid in a Sunday school class you can be a Sunday school teacher you know and so um so I love that the the pew isn't far from the stage Mm. and being active in ministry I have just had this long journey of being active in ministry from the time from as young as I can remember I don't remember a time that I wasn't active in ministry because it was so natural in a rural church and um, I think larger communities and churches have to strategize a lot more for that and it's just a natural part of what the rural church is in terms of uh, kind of putting out a Sunday morning or whatever those services are that's pretty natural so I think the family aspects the intergenerational aspects um, one of the things that I uh, 
I started embracing I now since I spent my journey in student ministry. Sure, yeah. Um, I remember like struggling to get youth leaders in into the student ministry. And uh, a mentor who was a great mentor, but had only served in really suburban context, oh, gotcha. kept saying like, just get college students, get college students. I was like, the nearest college is 80 miles away. And um, all of the 20 year olds in my town are meth heads, you know? Yeah, and so, and yeah, so yeah. that whole concept of just get other young adults, it just wasn't there. Yeah. And so I remember the Holy Spirit just kind of like, clicking inside of me, wait, why don't you embrace this family atmosphere? And so I asked some people to come into our youth ministry as youth leaders, but literally, will you be called grandpa and grandma in our youth ministry? Will you be, you know, uh, at whatever age they were, will you be an aunt and uncle? And we just really embraced that whole family concept in our youth ministry. And so grandma and grandpa, I don't think the kids ever actually knew their names. They would call them grandma and grandpa. Um, but I also realized kids were longing for those types of relationships when they hadn't had, you know, extended family relationships. And so why not just embrace who we are? And if you call them aunt or uncle or grandma and grandpa, it doesn't seem weird then to have a 45 year old or 50 year old serving in the youth ministry because it gives the kids some framework for it because they understand an aunt and uncle is this age, grandma and grandpa is like this age. And um, I remember one time uh, on an outreach, we were going to an outreach in another town, so like a missions trip within the state. And I looked down from the balcony at this hotel and I saw grandpa, our grandpa, just talking around a little table at the hotel with two of our like eighth grade boys. And I took a snapshot in my heart because I was like, this is beautiful. This is what rural can do well if we embrace who we are instead of just like fighting and complaining against that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I echo that. I really love uh, just making room for people because, yeah. again, you kind of have to, you know. Yes. And, and, and I love that, that while some people may say, man, that's got to be tough because here you are trying to trying to make pieces fit that might be strange looking pieces. But it's like, you know what? At the end of the day, like church is happening and yes. everyone either has to be or gets to be a part. And, and what a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Absolutely. And so, man, that's some powerful stuff. Well, Let's switch gears in the middle of our compliment sandwich yeah. in the Royal Church. Because uh, if you've ever gotten you know praise and, and someone had to have a tough conversation with you, you always put the, the good first. And then we might dive into some stuff that's a little more, we yes. won't even use the word controversial, but just a little heavier, you know, because honestly, uh, and, and again, to clarify, we love the Royal Church. Mm-hmm. And yet you can still look into your own context and say, hey, there's some stuff here that maybe as we live and see the world that might not be helping our cause, might not be helping the gospel. Absolutely. And, and we want to be good stewards of the opportunity and the amazing opportunity that God has given us yeah. to work in small places. And so why don't you maybe dive us into that one? What yes. do you have that would be labeled maybe a bad mindset in a real yeah. church? I think uh, probably more so I realized this in my uh, DYD days when I could zoom out a little bit and see from a bigger picture what it was. And um, I think the mindset that hurts us the most, while within the church setting and like how we put on a Sunday morning service, everyone needs to be involved. I think both rural communities and a lot of times rural pastors do have a, the pastor does everything mindset, right? And the pastor is the one who disciples the pastor is you know so so even though sunday mornings i love that the stage isn't far from the pew um a lot of times the rest of the week the pastor is still seen as the one who is responsible to do all the ministry of the church 
And I was raised in an environment where my pastor helped shift that mindset. We call it the priesthood of all believers, right? Okay, where yeah, that we yeah, believe, from scripture, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep, that not just an 11 year old can be a drummer in church, but that I'm actually responsible to share Jesus and disciple others and to minister outside of that, not just on the stage. And um, and I think in rural communities, it is we hire a pastor to do a job and you are supposed to pastor that many people. And we know that statistics say that churches end up capping out because one person can only pastor and decide, you can only do so many hospital visits, you can only do whatever. And so unless there is a mindset that really equips people for ministry outside of that and empowers people as uh, as kings and priests before before uh, Jesus to fulfill the ministry, then we're going to cap out, you know? Um, and that was true as I realized like, okay, I can lead this youth ministry and put on a good show every Wednesday, but I need more people than just me if I'm actually going to disciple. I need those moments of looking down and seeing grandpa, sure, you know, yeah. investing in others. And so expanding that and realizing like, I'm, I need to set up other people to be heroes. They're going to be here longer probably than I am. And they really were, you know, some of those youth leaders are the long-term like uh, mentors in those students' lives. And so I think making that kind of turn of how do we equip um, our people to understand both the privilege and responsibility of sharing Jesus in whatever realm he has placed us in, right? Um, And so Preston Ulmer has a great quote about we go to heavenless places and leave a little bit of heaven wherever we go. And that that should be true as we're equipping our school teachers in the schools, as we're equipping our business people, um, not just, hey, go raise money for the kingdom, but actually like you are going in as a, your, your business, your school should be a little more like heaven because you were there, whether you ever get to speak the name of Jesus in that context or not, you know, but that we're um, now working for a missions project and seeing how the gospel is spreading, even in countries that are hostile to the gospel. It is because person to person is being obedient to what the Holy Spirit sharing. It's people just actually believing what the Bible says and sharing it with other people. And so, uh, so I know the old joke is that you have some people in your pews who have been saved for 45 years, but they don't have 45 years of growth. They have one year of growth lived 45 years, you know, over and over and over again. Met some of those. Yeah. And so I think our now granted, it's a hard place for a pastor to be in because it sounds like you're trying to be lazy if you teach people about doing right. the work of the ministry, but really you are empowering people. You are challenging them to be a gift to the community. You're challenging them to see his kingdom come and his will be done or whatever, whether that's coaching a baseball team or, uh, uh, you know, working with other moms, you, you know, your stay at home mom and you're investing in other, you know, moms, whatever that realm is that he's called you to, how are we empowering people um, to really be Jesus in those because otherwise the church is really only going to grow to whatever level one pastor can can handle. And so that is overall where I see the weakness. Um, well, it's a great honor to kind of pastor a community. Sure, sure. At the same time, uh, there's just going to be limits to what we can do. And so more than ever, the rural church, um, you know, we don't have the money to have all the staff. Right. And so we have to, uh, which is okay because kingdom wise, we should be empowering everyone the way it is. And so I really think that like concept of the priesthood of all believers being restored is a, is a big deal for rural church. Absolutely. And uh, just kind of diving in uh, to some of the stuff you said there, 
I've even heard uh, in my own context, you know, my lead pastor who has served now in a rural community for almost 15 or 16 years, and he will highlight that to me frequently. He says, well, I, you know, he says things like, well, I don't, I don't know if I should share the pulpit too many Sundays because sure. I only work one day a week and I don't want, you know, and of course, yeah. he, and, and most of the time it's joking, but it is tough. Yes. I mean, a pastor has to work to overcome that mindset absolutely because it is tough and you do want to contribute if you're yes. in a rural place you're probably already working pretty hard yes. and people around you are expecting absolutely. you to work hard and so to have to then not just not just say well i'm going to delegate but to say i'm going to overcome my hesitancy absolutely to train and equip people yeah um, and it really is a lot of communication to teach your own you know when i look at how my pastor did it he really started with some of the key leaders trying to change the mindset of teaching. No, this isn't me trying to be more lazy. This is us trying to grow and reach more people for the gospel. Um, and, it, but yes, the rural mindset that says, but we pay you to do this, right, right. you know, uh, you should be, you should be doing that and not, you know, it, but it, in the same way, you know, that would be like a parent telling the school teacher, well, I pay you to teach my kids. I'm not going to read to them at home. Right. You right. know, and there's a responsibility and there's a responsibility of saying, no, no, we're all in this together. Yeah. And so. I really loved highlighting, uh, you know, when you said, Hey, some of these mentors, some of these people that are going to be involved in your ministries are going to outlast you. I love For the sure. term. Uh, and it's been associated with rural, you know, for as long as it's been in conversation. But the term of the soil. Yes. You know, you've got, I mean, I was just floored the other day. I was chatting with one of the older saints in my church. And uh, he told me about how his parents before him had this instrumental hand in carving out the church. And he himself is in his 80s. Wow. And he was born and raised, like, in this church. Yes. And I'm sitting here going... I and and I I'm, I'm only thirty, but I sit here and think, well, well, I've been here eight and a half years, and that that means so much, and it's so important, yes. and like, look at all I've done in that time, and yet, it's a fraction of these Absolutely. lives that have been lived, and the church is going to outlast us, yeah. and it's going to outlast those pastoral leaders, but there are people who will live and die generationally in this town, yes. and like even it's it's, it's kind of like you said with that touch of heaven, it's like even if that pastor, you know, if you're a pastor listening, even if you if you don't make it there yes. 20, 30, 40 years. You're going to be leaving trained and equipped people who are in that town who Absolutely. can just disciple and keep the work of God going. Absolutely, man, that's some cool stuff. Well, hey, let's dive into the last bit of this. It's always my favorite part of this compliment sandwich, and it's always my favorite to ask leaders. Yes, because all of us, you know, we can all read books and we can all, you know, the, yeah. there's tons of great information out there. But, but I love hearing those nuggets, those really, those awesome pieces of wisdom that have driven ministries that have driven people's lives and so maybe for the next few minutes would you mind just sharing us sharing with us you know your nugget of wisdom or something that has really guided you in ministry yeah so uh so one of the things that became kind of a motto for me uh was when i when i was about to start as the district youth director I just asked the Holy Spirit one question, what do you want to be the big deal to me? Because I was overwhelmed, I was young and overwhelmed by the thought of the job and everything that was gonna be there and I just needed to know like, Holy Spirit in your eyes, what does success look like? And the line that came into my heart was finding Davids in the fields, finding Davids in the fields. And I knew what that meant, but it's been a joy to explain that to many others over the years. Um, especially when you, I look across the state of North Dakota, obviously it's mostly fields, sure, right? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, and so we really relate to that story of David who was just out there tending sheep. But then there was a man named Samuel who heard from God and went out there and the unexpected one called him in from the field. 
and anointed him. And that was a turning point in David's life. Now, the reality is David went back out to the field yeah, after sure, after sure. that anointing. Can't you know? leave the sheep alone. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and so it was still a journey to whatever that was. But Samuel heard from God and saw inside of a young man what others didn't see. And I, uh, I've made it my motto of saying, what if every person, not every youth pastor, not every pastor, what if every person who loves Jesus committed to finding Davids around them? Committed, I will challenge every adult to uh, pick out one, just one even. It'd be great if it was two, because then you double sure, yourself. Sure, you sure. Know? One or two people outside of their own family that they're willing to invest in, that they can be a Samuel in, that they can call out greatness in, that they can uh, find, anoint, bless, and invest are kind of the words that I use, um, where you are identifying what God has in their lives. And really that's my story. And so even though I'm super glad that I had an amazing pastor and amazing youth pastors, um, my dad died suddenly when I was 13 years old. And the church, um, the people who are my heroes were the people in that season who were Samuels in my life. And uh, what that looked like didn't have to be just praying for me at an altar. What that looked like is I got to spend weekends with their families, or they taught me how to ski, or how to bake cookies, you know, stuff that when my mom was busy, because she was, you know, single parent with two teenagers trying to work, and they took me into their homes and allowed me to be a part of their family. And I say I'm still in the church today because oh, wow. the church was the church at the time I needed it to be the church. Yeah, and everything, what a huge impact, right? Everything like, what a the church impact. Absolutely. Everything the church was supposed to be, it became to me. And so I've never left the church because the church was beautiful to me. You know, and yeah. I mean I only found out later how dysfunctional certain things were, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, back yeah I had no idea until years later because in my mind everything was perfect and beautiful. And they were very flawed people who were investing in me but uh, but I didn't know about that or care about that. I just cared that they found me, right? And that they invested in me. And that's my story. And I think back even a generation before that. So my mom had come back to Jesus when she was pregnant with me. So I would say the first person I led to Jesus was my mom. But, um, <laughs> but my dad, uh, my dad was raised in a mainline uh, denomination and, um, and wasn't serving Jesus. And uh, he had become disabled with severe rheumatoid arthritis when he was very, uh, when he was in his uh, 20s. And so it was really difficult. And so um, he was just angry at God about a lot of things, really uh, didn't want anything to do with God. Um, but it was some regular people. So when I talk about the priesthood of all believers, right. right, it was absolutely regular people. One of the stories that they tell is there was, uh, there was this couple, uh, Alan, Edie, Fisher, their names, and uh, they would, they had a heart for my dad, uh, my mom and Edie met on the garage sale circuit. Another rural yeah, thing, right? It doesn't get doesn't get now more we rural have than that. Use Facebook pages. Come on, come on. Whole, yeah. And so they met in the garage sale circuit, but they got a heart for, to uh, for my dad, and they had been a part of planting the AG Church in town. And and uh, the story goes that the first time they showed up for Christmas caroling at our door, my dad cussed them out and oh, and slammed the door. I love that. And uh, and then the second year, so this is a process of years, right? They came back, and my dad cracked the door. By the third right. year, he had his video camera out and he was inviting them in that they had kept working at this relationship. And over the years, I've heard more and more stories. And one was a rancher who would who would uh, drive around the block of our house over and over and over praying for the courage to stop and talk to my oh, dad. Wow. Um, and so he would drive around and pray and pray. And there was so many people who were Samuels in seeing in my dad what others couldn't. And then I remember the night that my dad finally came to church 
and our friends, Alan Eady, dropped everything, came to this Church of God with us, and I remember sitting in the back and watching. It was a rancher named Ted who walked up to my dad and said, Ken, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I'll walk with you. I'll go, I'll go oh, up wow. with you. And my dad got up and walked to the front, and our family was forever changed from that moment of my dad giving wow. life to Jesus. And so, and in the process of it, we ended up, uh, I'm so thankful for our roots in the Church of God, and then ended up moving to the Assemblies of God. And my dad was uh, became a worship volunteer worship leader, you know, uh, in just this course of a few years. But it was all because of Samuel's who right. found David's, you know, in that case, they were the same age, but somebody who was willing to say, this work isn't just for the pastor. Actually, there's, you know, there's great pastors, but there's no individual pastor who's a hero in that story. Yeah, honestly. It's a like rancher it's, and a farmer yeah. and a business guy, right, who just uh, went to heavenless places and left, oh. some, left some heaven wherever they went, right? And so I just encourage every pastor to, uh, to somehow seed that into their people, like, could you ask the Holy Spirit to highlight one or two people, um, uh, maybe one who is younger, you know, uh, somebody that you can invest in, show up at their games, um, invite them into your life. Discipleship isn't as complicated as we like to make it. Right, right. It's really just doing life with other people right. and loving Jesus well. Because even the people you well. highlighted, they're not driving around and just praying for somebody, not quote-unquote exceptional Yes, in a sense. Like, obviously, no. prayer is great, but like Absolutely that's not a simple task. Yes. You know? and, and that was mainly their whole contribution was yes. just this prayer. And you're like, wow, that's a super normal thing that a Christian believer could do. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, just, you know, and they were he was driving around praying just so he would have the courage because he was so afraid to come talk to my dad yeah, about honestly. Jesus. You know, my dad was that, like, unexpected one. And yet... Uh, yeah, it just really defined my whole family tree from a handful of regular people in rural communities who love Jesus well. Wow. And honestly, uh, you know, we talk about that, and I cannot help but always be humbled because as a pastor, again, we've all met people who we would define as stubborn or lost causes. And yes. in rural towns, it's hard because there's so much history. Absolutely. And you, and you just wonder. And yet, again, I love that story of your dad, you know, cusses him out, cracks yeah. the door, and eventually, eventually, yes. you see the light of the gospel flood in. Absolutely. And what an encouragement to the rural pastor listening. And so uh, I just want to wrap this up by saying thank you, Twyla. This has been an awesome conversation. And Thanks I think that there's, me. yeah, tons to glean from that. And if you're listening, be encouraged, be challenged. Um, God sees the work that we do in small places for him. Thank you for tuning into Rural Advancement and join us next week as we continue to talk about this conversation of rural mindsets, the way we see the world. Have a great week.